Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. Today, Amy's going to dish on when to avoid gluten. And I'm going to discuss physical activity. Is it too late to start? All right, well, let's get started. And you have a very interesting article that you pulled this week, a little bit on physical activity. So let's talk about that. I get excited about this type of thing because I think people tend to think in all or nothing. Yes. And this was a research piece that was published in JAMA, which is the Journal for American Medical Association. Mm -hmm. And just this year, and they looked at does an association exist between patterns of leisure time physical activity occurring during adolescence or early middle or later adulthood and all cause specific mortality okay so basically so let's go back a little bit and just look at the findings here, they did a cohort study. Okay, so let's remember that from our recent podcast on unpacking nutrition research and what that means. Right, so cohort study basically just means that they had people opt into a, like they had, well, this one actually looked at a study that had been done Mm -hmm. before, and I'm sorry, I'm not finding the name of the study right now, but... Uh, they looked at data on that and then followed up with these participants. And they weeded this down, this study participants down and tried to control for some factors and things like that. But they were looking at participants who reported physical activity in this study that looked at when they were active, like how much activity they had when they were young versus middle age versus as they aged. And I think the participants were already aged 70 years of age okay. when they did the study initially. So what they did was they found that maintaining physical activity from adolescent into later adulthood was associated with a 29 to 36% lower risk for all-cause mortality. And that being inactive but increasing physical activity during midlife was associated with 32 to 35 percent lower risk mortality so it's never too late to start it's never too late to start that's exciting yes so basically yeah that's what it meant now it's not to say that if you're young you don't you can wait and not (laughs) exercise later we're not saying that but there still is a lot of benefit to exercising throughout your lifespan what about those folks who maybe exercised when they were young and then became inactive later in life? Did the things change for them? Yes, that actually de- that actually uh, did not improve their their um, mortality rate. Very it interesting. Actually, had the opposite effect. So, if you are exercising now and you would stop, then you would lose that uh, effect the exercise was having for you. So that's very interesting because you think about maybe kids who are super active in sports Mm -hmm. in high school and maybe into college, and then they sort of stop as they become adults and maybe Mm -hmm. they're busy families and they sort of stop taking care of themselves. Right. Um, And you think that that might be, you know, something that might be an issue if they're not being active later on in life. 
Yeah, and I see that a lot with people too. It's it's not easy to continue to exercise mm-hmm. as we age. Like you said, there's things that get in the way and, yes. and uh, all of a sudden we have life happening and we don't have as much time. Now this study actually mm-hmm. looked at moderate and vigorous activity, so it doesn't need to be vigorous activity that right. we're talking about here either. So I think just any kind of activity. And I think too, if you pick it back up, so let's say you kind of lose your activity level mid years, but Mm -hmm. then uh, what this study showed is that if you started exercising again, Mm -hmm. that benefit came back. I think that's really exciting type of work because what again, is it going to show that, you know, it really, like you said, it's never late too late. We said never too late to start, but also never late too late to continue. Or you say, okay, I've stopped exercising for a period of time. I should pick it back up. Right, right. And there's really no harm that you've done to say, right. okay, you know, I've maybe taken a couple of years off of being as fit as I should be, but I'm going to go ahead and, right. and get back to the gym or at least get out and take a walk. You know, the weather's right. finally getting nice here. Yes. You know, yeah. that people can get outside and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically, I just wanted to end with uh, uh, one of the authors, Pedro St. Maurice, He's a postdoctoral fellow at National Cancer Institute, and he uh, he said, "If you're act, the bottom line is if you're active now, keep being active, mm-hmm. whatever the age." He said, "And if you have not been active lately, it seems that it's not too late. Even if you are in midlife, if you start exercising, you will reap the benefits for longevity." That's so cool. Yeah, that's so cool. So, yep. very good. Very good. All right. Well, we thought we would um, take on a topic that seems like it gets a lot of attention maybe over the last few years. And this is an area that is my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. I've been uh, dealing with patients with celiac disease and gluten sensitivity now for about a decade. Can't really believe it's been that long. Yeah. Um, But I got into it because I had patients that were dealing with this and I felt frankly, a little embarrassed about how little I knew. Yeah. Um, and that's that's not good when you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this because I have a lot of clients that, and I think I think as a dietitian, it's hard mm-hmm. to stay on top of everything, like yes. you said. And I'm very excited to hear from you because I know I send people to you to say, hey, if you have questions about this, right. this is who you need to talk to. I so. appreciate that very much. <laughs> so well, let's just talk a little bit about what gluten is first. And it makes me think of that. Did you ever see that Jimmy Kimmel episode where he goes out and asks people like yeah. at the farmer's market, like, what do they know about GMOs or yes. whatever? I've seen one of those things. Yes, they're hilarious. Yes. I mean, they're, they're sad, but hilarious. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of sad. Um, but... The, he did one on gluten, and it's been a few years about what gluten is. Okay. So I thought, especially if you are, you've heard about it, maybe you've, you know, maybe people have talked to people who said they're eating gluten free, and you don't really know what that means. So let's talk about what it is. Well, first of all, the interesting thing is gluten is a protein, and of course you don't think about it as a traditional protein like meat and cheese. This is the protein that you find in wheat. So if you've ever kneaded a loaf of bread, maybe mm-hmm. you've had that experience where you're kneading the loaf of bread and it's kind of got that elasticity to it, uh-huh. that's the development of gluten, uh, that protein that okay. gives the wheat its elasticity. Yeah. But it's found in wheat, rye, and barley. 
We'll talk a little bit about oats here in a second, but it's the protein that we find in, in wheat, rye, and barley. Because there are proteins in all carbohydrates. Absolutely. And that's the funny thing about it is you don't think of, when you think about a carbohydrate, you don't right. think about there being protein in mm-hmm. carbohydrate, but there is a small amount of protein right. in all carbohydrates. Yeah. And so what happens is that people who have celiac disease, uh, it's an autoimmune condition. So I always like to explain it. It's a little bit different than an allergy. Mm-hmm. And you might hear people say, well, I'm allergic to gluten. And sometimes I wonder if they're actually allergic to wheat, yeah. you know, which is a little bit different than gluten. Yeah. Um, but celiac disease is an autoimmune condition. So when you think about autoimmune, it's where the body attacks itself. Mm-hmm. So a true allergy, when you eat some, if you're, let's say you're allergic to peanuts and you eat peanuts, your body's going to attack the allergen right. that's, that's irritating right. you, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, that can be very serious and typically sometimes even life-threatening. Right. Celiac disease is autoimmune. It's also inherited. So people who have celiac disease carry one of two genes, and okay. everyone, practically everyone, I think that I think it's now everyone um, carries one of these two genes. Oh wow! And whether you have the gene or not. Um, will play a big part in whether you develop celiac disease. So what's really interesting is, yes, you have to have a genetic component, uh-huh. and then something turns on that gene. Because it's not there from birth. No. You don't well, see the, that no, reaction you, right, you don't, normally. Right. You don't see celiac disease from birth. Right. Okay. But what you see is something that will turn that gene on. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that we don't really have a good, clear picture of necessarily what the precipitating event is. Although. Okay. Some women will develop celiac disease after a pregnancy. Sometimes it might be after a bout of the stomach flu. It could be, it could be related to anything. Mm-hmm. And so something turns that gene on. And so as you continue to eat gluten, if you have the gene and the gene yeah. gets turned on, uh-huh. then the body starts to attack itself. Okay. And the area of the body that goes after is the top of your small intestine. So you have your stomach and you have your small intestine, your large intestine. And so between the stomach and the large intestine is the small intestine. And that is where the villi, which is, I guess the best way to think about it is shag carpet. That's how I describe it to my patients. I always like to think of it as little fingers. Exactly, little fingers, yes. Okay. And so what happens is you continue to eat gluten and the body begins to sort of destroy that villi. And then the villi is what collects nutrients for the body. Absolutely. So So if you go from having shag carpet to having Berber carpet, kind of that flattened carpet, (laughs) Uh you can start to lose the ability to absorb your nutrients. And of course, then things happen. Mm -hmm. So you can either have digestive complaints, you can have vitamin and mineral deficiencies. A lot of patients who are newly diagnosed with celiac disease are deficient in vitamin D or iron or B12, because a lot of that absorption happens. I always like there's a lot of important stuff yeah. happening in that part of your small intestine. And if things aren't functioning well there, mm-hmm. it's not going to be good for you. Um, okay. So we don't necessarily know what turns it on, but yeah. it does turn it on at some point. Now, the interesting thing about the gene, because a lot of people think, well, if I have the gene for celiac disease, if I get tested, if I run a 23andMe right. or something like that, if I come that I have the gene for celiac disease, shouldn't I just avoid gluten to start? Gotcha. Yeah. But and actually, you shouldn't. <laughs> so the really interesting part is that 40% of the general population has the gene for celiac disease. So we could both have it for all we know. Right. Yeah. 
but only 1% will actually go on to develop celiac disease. So having the gene is not, not an automatic. Right. It's not a predictor that it's you not a have predictor. to avoid gluten. Right. All it means is that you could, at some point, theoretically okay. develop it. Okay. Of course, that happens conversely, too. So if you get tested for the gene for celiac disease in some way, however you do it, and you don't have it, you will never develop it which is exciting. Right. Yeah. So you say, okay, well, sure. if I, you know, so and this is really good for patients who maybe have kids. You know, if you have a mom who has celiac disease and she's wondering, gosh, I wonder if my kids are going right. to get this because this yeah. is inherited. Uh-huh. Should I really be worried about this? One way you can maybe put your mind at ease as a parent is to get them tested for the gene. If they don't have the gene. They don't have to worry about they'll it. They'll never, the- ever get it. Right. Which is that, you know, sometimes that can be helpful, especially when you're trying to rule it out for kids or yeah. maybe other family members. Okay, Amy, how common is celiac disease then? It's not as common maybe as you think it is. Okay. We used to think that it was 1 in 10,000, and now we know it's more like 1 in 100 people have celiac disease. But, of course, you can feel like in this world that everybody's dealing with gluten issues. We'll talk about that here in a second. Okay. But true celiac disease is about 1% of the population. Okay. Um, So, you know, if you're thinking that it's, you know, 50% of us or 40% of us, it's just not the case at all. Right. Um, It really is just about 1 in 100. Right. And I know when I became a dietitian and, you know, we learned about celiac disease and it was very difficult to help clients to avoid gluten because it was so low in the population and Mm -hmm. people weren't consuming it. So you don't have a lot of gluten-free products on the market like you do these days. Yes, things have really changed over the last decade. Things have changed a little bit. So it's good news for the celiac patients. It's a little easier to find products. It is. It is. Um, And and then maybe that's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. (laughs) Okay. So then let's talk about the other half of it is gluten sensitivity. Yeah. This gets a little murkier. So celiac celiac disease is really well defined. We know how to test for it. FYI, if you want to be tested for celiac disease, it's blood work, which can be ordered by your physician. And then if that comes back positive, then you need to take that next step and get a biopsy. And of course, you hear the word biopsy and it sort of kind of puts perks everybody's ear up. But really a biopsy is just looking at tissue under a microscope. And so what they do is they go down to your throat with a a scope and they take little samples of the top of your small intestine and they look for that damaged villi. Yep. You got to take that second step. It kind of sounds scary to have that done. It's a really non-invasive type of procedure. You know, it's a morning out of your life to get an actual definitive diagnosis. So is the blood test just to figure out if you could have it? You could have it? Right, right. Okay. Yes. And And there are some... Some theories now are some thought of like if the levels are high enough, especially in children, uh-huh. that they maybe can skip the biopsy. Okay. Um, but I don't think that necessarily at this point is the standard of care. It's still the gold standard is to have those biopsies taken okay. to look for that damage. And I think that's really important to do. And right. I encourage parents and encourage even, you know, I say you never would start insulin without getting a definitive right. diagnosis. Yeah. You know, you would yeah. never start, you know, a, a new drug without knowing mm-hmm. what you were taking it for. Right. And I so think, go ahead. How do you know if you are having, 
issues like to get tested right so, so you can look for see. right you can look for symptoms and mm-hmm. you know we used to think that everybody would come to us with an upset stomach okay. or weight loss or diarrhea as the okay. kind of common thoughts of uh-huh. what celiac disease would look like okay but now we know about half of our patients aren't going to look like that at all they're going to come into the office and they're going to to the physician's office and they're going to have osteoporosis so thinning oh. of the bones weakening of the bones that they can't explain they're going to have anemia oh wow um, a good friend who he was diagnosed because he was anemic. They're going to have vitamin and mineral deficiencies. They're going to have dental enamel defects. So they're going to see, you know, okay. the, the dentist might know, notice something that is, is wrong with the teeth uh-huh. um, okay. because absorption is impaired. And again, we still may have those patients who come in very typical with gas and bloating and diarrhea right, and uncomfortableness right. and saying, okay, that's, that's, but if you're waiting for that patient, I always, always tell my physicians, if you're waiting for that patient, you're going to miss about half of them. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, there's even a manifestation of celiac disease that it's a very itchy skin rash called oh. dermatitis herpetiformis. Now you don't uh-huh. remember that term, right. but it's a very itchy skin rash on the elbows and the knees and um, oh, that is only treated by the, the gluten-free diet. Now, once gluten is removed, does the villi it does improve, improve yes. and right. return to normal so then nutrient absorption isn't a problem anymore? Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> the interesting thing is that villi, um, villi in kids turns over really quick and kids okay. tend to heal up pretty well if they're uh-huh. really vigilant about their diet and their parents okay. help them with that. Adults take a lot longer to heal and yeah. we still have some issues with adults that don't heal. Okay. despite being really, really, really adherent to the diet. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we're going to be looking over the next few years at some drugs that are going to come through that will help improve the condition of the, that villi uh-huh. and help people heal more effectively. Yeah. Um, it can take, and there are, you know, some older adults who may never yeah. see true healing of mm-hmm. the villi. We want to improve things as much as possible because uh-huh. there are consequences to untreated celiac disease. So let's talk yeah. about those for a second. Yeah. I've had patients come and say, well, you know, this is a really inconvenient diet. <laughs> I don't really want to do this. I don't. And especially those patients who don't feel bad, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't know they had celiac disease because they weren't upset, you know, didn't have an upset stomach right. or weight loss, or maybe they just had some anemia. Why do I have to follow this? Right. Well, of course we know that you know, osteoporosis can lead to a fracture, which mm-hmm. can be disabling, or in a lot of cases with older adults, you know, uh, something that can really interfere with your quality of life. Yeah, Anemia is not good that's untreated, but we also look at patients who are untreated with a slightly increased, increased risk of um, lymphoma. Uh, in the intestine. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. it's a very uncommon cancer, but yeah. it is related to untreated celiac disease. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of reason to get treated right. uh, and to be adherent to the diet. Okay. Speaking of that, it is important that if you think you have, you know, if we're, you're listening to this podcast and you're like boy that sounds like me right and you know there are 200 symptoms of celiac disease i think we all have some of them right right because you're anemic doesn't doesn't mean you have that exactly exactly there could be a a million other reasons that you are having those issues but let's say for example you have a parent who has celiac disease and you're starting to have symptoms think hmm should i get tested Mm -hmm. or should i just go gluten-free and see how i feel Um, I'm having a lot of patients that are doing that where they come in to me and they say, okay, I've been gluten-free now for a year. I, I want to be tested. You know, let's <laughs> well, okay. That's well, not going to help. Yeah, right? that's, you, right? you, we got to back up two steps. Yeah. So if you really think this is an issue for you, please see your provider first to get tested. And I just can't stress this enough because what it's going to do is it's going to put you behind the eight ball. It's going to put you in a situation where you're going to have to 
eat gluten again, eat the thing that you think makes you sick right? for a pretty long period of time. Like we're talking weeks to months Wow. to get a, an accurate test. Yeah, so just so just get tested. Don't jump into right. a just gluten free like, diet because right. yeah, it's just like I say to you know you would never start a new medication without a definitive right. diagnosis. You would never start insulin just to see how you feel. Right. You know if you were right. diabetic, you would want to be diagnosed right first to see if you're going to need it. And and what I try to tell these patients is this kind of a a life turning upside down diet. Right. As we'll talk about here in a minute. Yeah. Because I have a lot of patients who treat gluten-free just as, well, it made me feel better, so I'm going to keep doing it. But they're not 100% doing it. Right. And so if they were celiac, they could really could be putting be themselves in a situation. Causing a bigger problem. Right. Yeah. And put themselves in a bad situation. So just get tested. As I tell my patients, you know, most likely you don't have it. It's yeah. only one in a hundred. Right. You most likely don't have a problem in terms it's, of actual celiac disease. You mm-hmm. may have an issue with gluten, but you probably don't have celiac disease. Mm-hmm. But just let's rule it out. Let's yep. just make sure that we've dotted all our I's and crossed all our T's first before you put in, you know, this type of effort into kind of changing your life. Right. And changing your diet. It is a huge lifestyle change. It is a much bigger lifestyle change than I think some patients and certainly some physicians give it credit for. Right. You know, it's very easy off the cuff to just say, oh, just cut out gluten and and not realize what that does to people's lives and how complicated it makes things i just remember it's not so i see it being treated so blasey flare blasey fair you know like Like, yeah just not really oh yeah okay well then i can just eliminate gluten right but when i went to school and you learn about this disease and celiac and i remember Mm -hmm. they said just licking a stamp at at that point right they still had gluten on the Right. The sticky part of the stamp. Right. So when you lick the stamp, that t- amount of gluten right. is not good right. for our celiac right. patients. Thankfully, we don't have to worry about that anymore. So right. Right. Sta- stamps Sorry. are all adhesive. Stamps are okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm just saying, like in yeah. a very small amount, it yeah. was a very big concern. It is and crumbs. So exactly. Crumbs. And so it, it, once you have celiac, you cannot mess with it. Right. And it is a lifelong gluten-free diet at this point. There is no medical treatment for this condition at this Mm -hmm. point. There's no, I mean, there are drugs being in development Uh that I believe will be available, I hope, within the next few years that Uh will, I think eventually celiac disease will have a a diet component and a medication component Mm. um, to help with some of that that healing that's not occurring in some of our patients, but we're not there yet. not a cure. No, there's no cure at this point. There's, I mean, a lot of work on, you know, drug development and vaccine development possibly, but at this Mm -hmm. point there's no definitive cure. So it is a lifelong commitment. Yeah. If you can imagine, you know, maybe you're 30 years old and you're going to make a lifelong commitment now to follow this diet for the rest of your life. Right. It's a big change. That is a big change. It is. So it's one of those things that you want to be really sure. Exactly. That that's what's going on. Yep. Absolutely. So let's talk about gluten sensitivity. This is the other half of it. Okay. And, you know, the thing about gluten sensitivity is that we sort of, we're going to get into the fad that is gluten-free here at the end. Okay. Um, but gluten sensitivity is controversial. Okay. Um, this I feel, is yeah. Right. It's very controversial. So the technical term or the medical term is what we call non-celiac gluten or wheat sensitivity. I see it both ways now. I see non-celiac gluten sensitivity, but I'm also now seeing more non-celiac wheat Wheat sensitivity. Okay. So, 
This is a little different than celiac disease. Celiac disease, we know very clearly it's one in 100 people. We know how to diagnose it. We know Mm -hmm. how to treat it. This gets a little murkier because we, first of all, don't really know how many people are truly sensitive to gluten, have a true Mm -hmm. sensitivity. We also don't have any way to test for it. Yeah. So there's no biopsy you can do. There's no blood work you can do. No matter what they sell you online, there's no test you can do to diagnose gluten sensitivity. Do not buy anything off the internet uh-huh. that says you can diagnose this because they're lying to you. That yeah. is not an accurate way to diagnose it. Okay. The other thing that's interesting about gluten, gluten sensitivity is that there's some controversy whether it's gluten at all that okay. upsets right. the, the, the systems of people with gluten sensitivity. It could okay. be there are other parts of wheat called fructans. Mm-hmm. That may be upsetting to the stomach. It's the carbohydrate portion of wheat. There are also ATIs, amylase trypsin inhibitors, um, uh-huh. that are found in wheat that we also think could be an irritant huh. to some people. So there's some controversy on whether people who feel that they're sensitive when they eat bread or pasta uh-huh. or other things that contain gluten, whether it's the gluten or whether there's some other component of the wheat. Right. That is irritating to them. Yeah. So symptoms are very much, a lot of those things are the same. Um, you can have, again, upset stomach. You can have, uh, some people complain of sort of feeling brain foggy when they mm-hmm. eat gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, some people feel like they're really fatigued. Some people get migraine headaches when they eat gluten. Okay. We also do not see some of the issues with absorption because with celiac disease, there's very defined damage that occurs in the small intestine. Yeah. With gluten sensitivity, there is no damage. So they could go in there and look and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not going to find anything that indicates damage. So we don't see some of those other issues. We don't see anemia. We don't see Uh some of the vitamin and mineral deficiencies with gluten sensitivity. That being said, it can still make you really miserable. Right. So it's a real condition in the fact that you can still absolutely feel miserable right. from eating foods that are that contain gluten, but we're not sure, again, if it's really the gluten yeah. or if there's something else that's going on in that food that okay. may be irritating. Um, Interesting. There's a short-chain carbohydrate intolerance called FODMAPS, yep. which we can talk a little bit about. It's an acronym for some really long words, which I yeah. won't get into, um, <laughs> that is, could be that people are not sensitive to the, the gluten itself, but to the FODMAP sort of base carbohydrates. Right, which kind of yeah. becomes a tipping point type thing. Right, where they're, yeah, exactly. Right, where they're, they're not... continuing to eat those, those things that are wheat-based and eating too many fructans, which then again right. cause them to have symptoms that they think are gluten related when there may be other things. That and that's, are I guess, the difference between an insensitivity and an allergy. Mm-hmm. So, an allergy is really well defined. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time when people say they have a gluten allergy because. Really, there's there's wheat allergy, there's uh-huh. gluten or wheat sensitivity, and then there's celiac disease. Uh-huh. And of course, allergies are very different. Allergies are IgE mediated in the body, and again, your body attacks. You can have a wheat, a true right. wheat allergy, uh-huh. but then have no problem with barley and rye. You know, uh-huh. it's really it, there are different mediations and that how things okay. occur in the body. So allergies certainly are very well defined. We understand what occurs in an allergy. We are very clear on what happens with celiac disease, but again, just a little bit less clear on what happens with gluten sensitivity. Okay. And so I think that's, again, you know, people say, oh, is that a real condition? I believe it is. Uh-huh. Um, okay. But I believe that 
there's maybe still more work to be done on exactly what the offender is. Yeah. I believe absolutely you can feel miserable when you eat it. And so I never right. want to discount patients' feelings on how sure. they are. I don't think yeah. anybody's faking it. Let's put so it that way. So the bottom line is if it makes you feel better to remove the gluten. Right. That with the caveat that the you are tested for celiac <laughs> disease first. Okay. Absolutely. So really you're suggesting for anyone who suspects even an intolerance right. to gluten or whatever it is, get tested. Get tested. Absolutely. And make sure that you're not celiac. Right. And then you can have the conversation as to whether or not it will be beneficial to eliminate the gluten, but you don't want to do that first. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and that's it. Right. And I think that's something that is really difficult for people because they, they think it's such a minor thing to just give up gluten. Right. I can just give up some bread and, and pasta and, yeah. and beer and hey, see how I feel. Right. But again, you can really put yourself behind the eight ball. And I've seen it as professional Mm -hmm. where I have patients come in who are years into this gotcha and they're like oh no yeah you know and I say well unfortunately there is no test right right now to test you accurately for celiac disease because you've removed it from your diet for and you it has to be for a period of weeks and months it's not if you take it out for two days you're gonna you know somehow give yourself a false negative test it has to be for a period of time okay but it can it can turn over in weeks and months Gotcha. So don't think I'll go on it for six months and see right. how I feel because, again, you could absolutely get yourself a false negative test. Okay. So then who out there should be gluten-free? People um, say, oh, I'm, I'm going to be gluten-free because I have thyroid issues or I'm going to be gluten-free for maybe fibromyalgia or, or rheumatoid yeah. arthritis. So, you know, we have to remember that all autoimmune diseases can be, you know, sort of related in terms mm-hmm. of the fact that if you have one autoimmune condition like celiac disease, you are more likely to develop another autoimmune condition. However, huh. that is not an automatic. Okay. So because that's a different gene. It is a different gene. It's, a, it's a different and it's a different process. Right. right. Okay. Um, but you know, that being said, I've had lots of patients who say, oh, I, I have, you know, Hashimoto's thyroiditis and I feel mm-hmm. better when I eliminate gluten. That makes me nervous. Yeah. Because again, I think, I wonder if they actually have celiac disease in addition to their Hashimoto's and maybe should be tested for that to make sure they don't otherwise have celiac disease. So I think, again, if you are going to explore gluten-free to treat another medical condition like rheumatoid arthritis or Hashimoto's, that you just take that step, just like we've talked about, to get tested. Yeah. Because you very well could also have celiac disease right. if you have another right. autoimmune condition. So you very well could have celiac okay. disease. This is so good to know because I have so many people who come to me and say they're already gluten-free. Mm-hmm. And when I ask them why, now I need to make sure I also ask them, okay, did you get yourself tested for celiac mm-hmm. prior to going right. free? And here's right. why I'm concerned. Right. And again, it's really hard to tell a patient who's been doing this for a long yeah. time that, hey, you know, if you want to be tested, you're going to have <laughs> to eat that stuff. Taking- that, take that stuff that makes you feel like crap. Right. You know? <laughs> but... You know, I try to stress to them that there are consequences to having celiac disease that we need to make sure that you're being controlled for and we need to make sure that you're getting adequate treatment and follow-up testing and making sure that, you know, again, you would never start on a new drug, you know, without knowing what the consequences were. So same thing with diet. It's not just, you know, innocuous and just I can eat, you know, it's just, oh, just cutting out this one thing. It's a pretty big change. Yeah. And so, again, just like I said, if, if you if you suspect there is an issue or if you suspect that you would feel better by not eating gluten again to treat mm-hmm. another condition, just do it. 
it's it's a blood test. Yeah. It's that simple. <laughs> you right. know, it's so easy to do. Start with the blood test. Just to start yeah. with that blood test. And mm-hmm. if again, if that comes back negative, feel free to experiment with your diet as at will is what I say. Gotcha. You know, yeah. feel free. Because at that point. Right. You have you you have all rights to experiment to what works for you. Okay. And then we'll talk about that fad component. And this is probably where most people when they think about gluten-free, they think, well, everybody's doing it. Right. Or I go to a restaurant and everybody's got a gluten-free or gluten-friendly menu. And what does that mean? And right. The fad component, like I said, has been a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. for patients who actually have celiac disease or other issues, you know, legitimate issues with gluten. Because okay. it's led to the development of a lot of products. Yeah. And the prices have come down, you know. Right. Um, so it's like the VCR. The VCR when right. we were kids was what you know, five hundred dollars. Right. You yeah. know, and now you know, you, you know, ten years ago you buy a VCR for thirty bucks. You right. Know? Yeah. Uh, nobody, nobody has nobody them has anymore. Them exactly. Anymore. exactly. Yeah. You know, whenever the the market shall provide. You know. Correct. Um, we know it used to be so you know, ten years ago you couldn't find a loaf of bread right. in the town where I work. Uh-huh. Um, you had to go to Columbus to find a loaf of bread that right. was edible. Yeah. Now you can, there's a variety of products in every grocery store in the yeah. country. Yeah. Uh, and then even more online. Right. And they're better tasting and they're better quality and, yeah. and all of that's good. So the fad component has brought better stuff. Right. You know, and more lower variety, prices. lower prices, more variety, but it's also led to sort of a a less seriousness about the condition. Um, so I wonder how much of that leads to potentially more like gluten and things that maybe they're not as careful or right. not as serious about that gluten-free product. Right. I wonder about that. Or in restaurants that maybe right. the Especially chef is, you know, or the or restaurant employees are not taking it as seriously mm-hmm. as maybe they should. And we've had some studies that are, are concerning in that direction. So, you know, who else might be trying it? Athletes. A lot of athletes believe that gluten-free makes them feel better. However, mm-hmm. the research just does not back those statements up. Yeah. They've done a lot of studies, um, a couple that come to mind where, you know, uh, athletes didn't know whether they were put on the gluten-free diet oh, or not. Uh-huh. And they've, you know, it turns out. Uh-huh. It really had no effect on their performance. Um, so it's it's very interesting that a lot of athletes believe that it makes them feel better, or maybe mm-hmm. their trainer tells them to do it. Um, yeah. You know, the thought is that gluten is causing inflammation in the body, and that they can re- eliminate that by you know eliminating gluten, and that's just not the case. Yeah. Uh, research just does not back that statement up. Again, right. there are athletes who have celiac disease who should be gluten free, right? <laughs> but and right. really, that's the only that's thing you should right. do. In terms of weight loss, this is the one that's really funny to me because actually most of my patients with celiac disease gain weight on the gluten free diet. Which oh wow, yeah, they assume that the people assume that you lose all kinds of weight when you, you eat gluten free, <gasps> but love- most patients, <laughs> most celiac patients. Like research shows like 85% will gain weight the first Uh year that they're gluten-free. And that could be for Uh. a couple of reasons. The first one is, as I'll never forget, one of the support group members that I that I see frequently, um, I have a gluten-free support group uh, here in, in Ohio, says you're no longer renting your food. You're absorbing oh. your food. And so people 
gain yeah. weight because absorption is better. Sure. Well, yeah, that for makes people sense. with celiac disease. The other thing is that people with celiac disease are often used to eating large portions uh-huh. because they didn't absorb anything. They didn't gain any weight. Right. Or if they had diarrhea, and now they we just, don't know how to regulate. Right. What right. They know exactly. Yeah. Used to those very <laughs> okay. large portions. The other thing is, and this is where people get in trouble, is that gluten-free foods in a lot of situations are much higher fat calories uh, and sugar. Sure than regular products. You know, gluten-free pretzels are higher in calories and fat than regular uh-huh. pretzels. Yeah. And isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, so the weight loss thing with gluten-free, <laughs> if you are losing weight on the gluten-free diet, let's say you don't have celiac disease and you've started eating gluten-free right. because you heard that Miley Cyrus did it and lost all kinds of weight, uh, is mostly likely, most likely is that you're just eating less food. You know, yep. you're cutting That's out cakes and cookies thought. and bread and things yeah. that were just higher calorie. Maybe we have harder time portion controlling those types of things. Mm-hmm. So if you cut out, you know, the junk food from your diet because you're eating gluten-free, right. as long as you don't substitute in other junk food right. that is gluten-free. <laughs> I've talked to dietitians who actually have celiac disease and even they say they're they're not immune to this. You know, right. when they give up all their favorite foods, you know, give up, you know, their favorite croissants or their favorite bread and then they run out and buy gluten-free brownie mixes and gluten-free cookies. Right. That they are not even immune to sort of that, you know, need to pick up and try to substitute right. with other gluten, you know, gluten-free products and that are tend to be higher in fat and calories. And again, yeah. that can result in weight gain. So gluten-free for weight loss is not a thing. If I, you think you're going to lose weight on a gluten-free diet, it's literally because you're eating less food. That's it. Right. That's it's because it. you're restricting, and so there's decreased food that is in your normal repertoire available right. to you, and right. so you're losing weight because right. of it. If you stop eating bread at night, you know, right. on your, you know, with your meal, uh-huh. then you will lose weight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it, and it's there's nothing magical about it. Right. Um, and then those folks who just say I feel better on the gluten free diet, and like I said, once you've ruled out celiac disease, feel free, as far as I'm concerned, right. to experiment with your diet. But I yeah. do believe that the fad component has has hurt the celiac community in some ways because, again, there's sort of a less seriousness about it. It's like yeah. it gets made fun of on Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. You know, when people don't really understand what it is that they're talking about. Right. Um, or in a restaurant situation where I'll even have patients who will say that, you know, when they order off the gluten-free menu, do you, do you actually have celiac disease or is this just a preference? Right. Urgh, that makes me kind of makes me a little skeevy a little bit because it, it makes, makes me nervous. nervous. Right. Because I think, okay, so if it's just a preference, are you not going to take it seriously? Right. If it's celiac disease, you're actually going to do what you need to do right. to keep your pay, to keep yeah. your, your diner safe. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, that's where the fad component maybe hasn't been as helpful. No. Um, but it is, it is what it is. And yeah. uh, this is something that folks in the celiac community are going to still have to continue to sort of fight to be taken seriously. Right. And that, and that always troubles me. That, and that's one of the big challenges. I think what's troubled me about it too a little bit is just, I have a niece who has celiac and what concerns me is that she, you know, when you're going to a restaurant is that that person who's working at the restaurant, are mm-hmm. they taking it seriously? Absolutely. That's what concerns me too, because I, you know, it's few and far between that I work with um, celiac patients, but we do talk about cross contamination mm-hmm. and being careful with that. And there's a lot of kitchen skills that you need to have to keep mm-hmm. things separate. And how much does that other person know right. about that? And, and this just is because it says gluten free right. on and, a menu. And this is one of the big challenges, probably the biggest challenge for people with celiac disease and other mm-hmm. gluten related disorders 
is eating out. Yeah. You know, um, mm-hmm. because whenever, and, and I guess if you think about it, whenever you leave your home to eat, whether you have oh, celiac disease or not, right, you're taking a chance <laughs> that, you know, the person doesn't have, you know, gastroenteritis who's making right. your food or doesn't spit in your food. Anytime you let, you know, control of your meal go into somebody else's hands, you're taking a risk, right? right. Mm-hmm. But for people with celiac disease, it can become kind of an unusually large risk yeah. for them because they can become very ill after they eat. Um, and so this is one of those things, you know, it's not just having a gluten-free menu, but it's how well it's executed in the back mm-hmm. of the house. So, yeah. you know, is the fryer shared for French fries? Is there right. a clean grill? You know, are they taking, making sure that croutons have never touched that salad? Right. Not just taking them off of the salad. Right. Um, are they right. making sure there's no soy sauce in any marinades or seasonings? Again, yeah. this can be really involved. Yes. And this is one of the reasons you want to be diagnosed. Because think about that. All those questions that you have to ask when you eat out. Right. All of those things that you need to be careful of. If you don't have to do this, then don't do it. (laughs) Right. If you don't have to do this, if you don't have celiac disease or some other issue with gluten, then don't do it. Right. Because this is extremely complicated and it can really be especially difficult for for having a social life. Um, And again... There's ways to get around it, and there's ways that my celiac patients adjust beautifully right. to living with this. And this is not certainly say if you have celiac disease, you can never eat out. That's not the case. And in fact, right. I hope that's not the case. Right, right. Um, but what it means is it's that extra level of vigilance that can be quite stressful mm-hmm. for those people who, when they eat out, it's like, again, eating out with a true food allergy. Again, it's very, yeah. can be a very stressful experience. You know, other challenge that, the, that people run into, again, even just cross-contact in the home, not being able to share a toaster with your family yeah. members, not right. being able to um, share a peanut butter jar. Share a peanut butter jar, exactly. Or, you know, again, there's lots of things that need to be taken into account. So this is one of those reasons. Please, please get tested if you suspect you have an issue do not fall victim to just trying the diet no matter even you know even if it's suggested to you by a healthcare provider say hey I think I should be tested first and if they say oh I don't think that's necessary oh I think it's say yeah it is because I don't want to get myself I don't want to get myself into a position where I don't know what is wrong with me right I want to make sure that I know that I've ruled out this this fairly serious condition first before I start experimenting I think that's excellent. I think a lot of people need to understand that, and I need to understand that too now. So that makes me feel so much better. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. That's just great information. So last week we talked a little bit about, um, what did we talk about? Food labels. Yes. And so it led us to a conversation about what's processed, processed yes. and what's not processed. You so took a little I, Facebook poll, didn't I you? did do another Facebook poll. So I thought I'd give a little follow-up to this. And I I saw a variety of answers here. Uh, Everything from, you know, some people said pretty much everything, depending on how you think, you know, processed uh, could be anything. So kind of like what we were talking about, any food that has been changed from its original state. So I have some smart listeners that listen to me. Um, Food food in boxes with preservatives added. You know, chemical ingredients, artificial colors, imitation flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we get into some, like, more than five ingredients, words I can't pronounce. 
that makes me, uh, yeah. you know. Because I have a hard time pronouncing some of my vitamins and minerals. Oh, I'm also here sitting, sitting here sipping a coffee that's made up a very long chemical name called, you know, that is caffeine. Right. You know, that right. I certainly couldn't, couldn't say that chemical name if somebody asked me right. to. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Just because you can't pronounce it doesn't mean necessarily that right. it's a bad thing. But it is an impression of processed foods that it has to be that right. more than five ingredient, lengthy ingredient list or, right. you know. Well, and I had somebody, just any, having an ingredient list. They, oh, my. They Considered that was a processed food. Wow, wow. So, I wonder about their cut bag spinach because that, yeah, that just that'll have a label. That'll have an ingredient spinach. label, <laughs> but it'll still say yeah, it'll just, just say, say spinach, spinach right, but it still right, has an ingredient problem. list. Right, right. So, yeah. So, thank you, everyone, who answered uh, on my little quiz there. Yeah. Uh, we also had something exciting. So we had a, a suggestion, I think, for our next podcast. So we'd like to tease out what we're going to be talking about next time. We had a listener suggestion. Yeah. And again, keep those listener suggestions coming because they are spurring additional yeah. conversation. <laughs> and sure. so we're going to hopefully have um, maybe even a special guest uh, on the next podcast talking about yes um, this, a listener-based question. This was an awesome question. So, Speaking of those listener questions, you can find us at our website, www.secretliferd.com. Correct. And, and you can email us at dish at secretliferd.com. We hope you continue to find us anywhere you find your podcasts. Have a great week. <laughs>